Today's podcast is brought to you by Fish Window Cleaning, the largest professional window cleaning company in the country. With over 200 locally owned and operated franchises, you are sure to be able to find an office near you where they can help you brighten your world at work or at home. For professional window cleaning at residential or commercial properties, look up Fish Window Cleaning at fishwindowcleaning.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Josh. And I am Alyssa. And we are back for today's episode of The Podcast is on Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A spoiler-free run-through where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. On today's episode, part five of Grave Peril. Grave Peril, that's book three, released in 2001. We are going to go chapters 24 to 28. It's very exciting times out here in the Dresden Files podcasting universe. I'll tell you what. How you doing today, Liz? I'm doing well. It's raining again here in the Bay Area. It's so weird that when you move to Northern California, a place where it notoriously rains and is cold and is awful... I you get upset it when it doesn't rain up here. You get upset when it rains and it's cold <laughs> and it's awful. I don't mind the rain, but it's funny because when I moved here, it was like, oh, it never rains here. And oh, it never gets this cold here. And it's the, been the rainiest winter, I think, in like 60 years or something. So Good the time. coldest, the, the coldest winter I ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. Yes. San Francisco is different than the South Bay. San I'm Francisco well aware. Its own it, ecosystem. It's all the same. All of it's all Central Cal. It is very Central Cal. It's very much. You got Redding and NorCal. Central Cal is San Francisco, Santa Barbara, and Stockton. They're all the same. And no. then you got SoCal. It's all no. one place. Stockton, Santa Barbara. You're welcome for including Santa Barbara in that, by the way. <laughs> all okay, 12 well, people who live in Santa Barbara are appalled by oh, that comparison. Hush, hush your mouth. <laughs> I went to UC Santa Barbara. That is the why that is the dig. But hey, you know what, though? San Bernardino is in. That's not a dig at all. I like San Bo- Santa Barbara. Just nobody lives there. And yeah, it's actually, way, quite a few people live there. And it's way cooler than NorCal. It's very pretty there. Gorge. Gorge. Goodness gracious. I'm eating a gummy bear. Nice. And it's delightful. And the San Diego State Aztecs are in the final four for the first Very time exciting. ever. Same year that the Gauchos go dancing. That, we went dancing two years ago, too. But yeah. Alas. Alas. Sad tortilla noises. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what. And uh, very exciting times. Neither of us went to San Diego State, but we grew up in San Diego. So, you know. Yes. Tony Gwynn, Marshall Falk, Kawhi Leonard. Let's go. Heck yeah. So, uh, beyond that, and the very exciting NCAA tournament facts that people are very excited about. <laughs> Although I make, some, I make some money in my pool because I had San Diego State going to the Final Four, but not the championship game. Mm-hmm. And one of my buddies in the pool makes more will leapfrog me into second place if they win the semifinal. 
I still want them to win, but it's it's, it's win win. Either they win in San Diego State's in a national final, or mm-hmm. I, I get second place in the pool. So we'll see. <laughs> and if Iowa upsets South Carolina in the women's tournament, I win that pool. Ooh. So I got lots of lots of money here. Caitlin Clark or Caitlin whatever that that girl just like just drops bombs. I love watching her when she's when she's on fire. She just she can just heat check from half. It's very exciting times. So this is the. NCAA Tournament 2023 pod. <laughs> Watch it, Alyssa. We've moved on from Greece, too. So. <laughs> We're magical. Yeah, very exciting times. Um, a really good ch- chunk here. Again, not a lot happens, but a lot happens. You know, one of those. There's some really important moments as far as, like, overarching series moments in mm-hmm. these five chapters. But also, as far as kind of, like, looking at even this book... It's just a flash in the pan, you know, no, no huge movements, no big action set pieces, just, you know, the one big spell that Leah does or doesn't cast. We're not really sure. And then, uh, the implications there, but it really sets everything up nicely for next week's is going to be explosive. It's going to be Fuegosive. And then moving on beyond that, uh, even more fun, explosive stuff. So, well, as we get it. The conclusion of this novel really kickstarts the series, and it's really exciting alone. So without prejudicing it too much, I'm just very excited to get into the climax of every Dresden Files movie is going to be fiery and explosive and ridiculous. So I don't think I'm giving you too big of a spoiler there, but <laughs> I'll, uh, any last thoughts here before I catch us up and then you get us into the recaps? Nah, I'm ready to go. Good stuff. So Harry has just bound the nightmare to himself, meaning the nightmare can't come after anyone else until Harry's dead. And they've also realized that the nightmare is just the cat's paw. There's somebody above it pulling the string. So we need to figure that out. And the best way to do that is to get close to all the monsters and beasties and see if they have the same energy as the nightmare's benefactor. So they've decided they're going to a party. They're going to that masquerade ball that Bianca Invited him to way back when in chapter, what was that? Three? Probably hadn't, couldn't have been three because it's week two of this book. Chapter eight or nine, basically, where Kyle and Kelly Hamilton showed up and said, hey, you got to come to this party. And Susan was there with him when he got invited. And I'm sure that doesn't mean anything. And as we get into this week, we see that maybe it did mean something that Susan knew about <laughs> the party. But Harry and, and Michael are getting ready to... I don't want to say arm up and go because it is a party and they are going to be under the rights of hospitality, mm-hmm. but that protection prepared for any situation. Exactly. That, that, that hospitality is always a little bit shaky because of what we, we already know about it, right? Somebody can come and shoot everybody and then it's, Oh, well, you know, Harry was the only mortal there. I guess that's okay. Or, you know, you can poison the, the, you can poison the, the punch for everybody and it's not like you're attacking harry specifically so they definitely know it's a dangerous spot to get into and um we'll see how that shakes out so let's uh get us into this here ice all right chapter 24 our heroes make an appearance at bianca's mansion and Harry is dragging Michael. Michael's a little uncomfortable. Tell me again, Harry, why is this a good idea? We're going to a masquerade ball with a bunch of monsters. Why would you be uncomfortable? And everything's... I mean, you know. Look, we know that something's been stirring up the spirit world. 
We know that they did it in order to create this nightmare that's been after us. We know that the girl Lydia was connected to the nightmare somehow. Yes, Michael said. All right. Bianca sent out her thugs to take Lydia, and Bianca's hosting a party for the nastiest bad guys in the region. Stallings told me that people have been going missing off the streets. They've probably been taken for food or something. Even if Bianca isn't behind it, and I'm not saying she isn't, chances are that anyone who could be is going to be at the party tonight. And you think you'll be able to spot them, Michael asked? Pretty sure. All I have to do is get close enough to touch them, to, to feel their aura. I felt whoever was backing the nightmare. So this is our goal. So we're just going to go up to people and see, hey, nope, no, that don't recognize that aura. Nope, don't recognize that aura. Sounds like a great plan. I feel like this is foolproof. <laughs> and Michael's or, very uncomfortable or proof with it. that fools were involved. One of the yes. <laughs> um, and... You know, Michael keeps saying that if someone is in harm's way, he's going to intervene. Harry says, you got it. You got it. Not. If we break the truce for if we break the truce first, we're open game. You could get us both killed. I am what I am, Harry. There are people who could get killed if we mess this up. It isn't only our lives we're talking about here. I know he said my family or some of them, but that doesn't change anything. Michael, I'm not asking you to smile and chat and get cozy. Just keep quiet and stay out of the way. Don't shove a crucifix down anyone's throat. That's all I'm asking. I won't stand by, Harry. I can't. I don't think you can either. Hell's bells, Michael. I don't want to die here. Nor do I. We must have faith. Great. That's just great. And then Michael has wants to pray. And we get a little bit more of insight on Harry's perspective on God. I, uh, I don't have anything against God, far from it, but I don't understand him. And I don't trust a lot of people that go around claiming that they're working in his best interests. Fairies and vampires and whatnot. Those I can fathom. Even demons. Sometimes even the fallen. I can understand why they do what they do, but I don't understand God. I don't understand how he could see the way people treat one another and not chalk up the whole human race as a bad idea. I guess he's just bigger about it than I would be. And I love that. Michael says a very brief prayer. We walk into darkness now. Our enemies will surround us. Please help to make us strong enough to do what needs to be done. Amen. Just that. No fancy language. No flashy beseeching the Almighty for aid. Just quiet words about what he wanted to get done. And a request that God would be on his side. On our side. Simple words. And yet power surrounded him like a cloud of fine mist prickling along my arms and my neck. Faith. I calmed down a little. We had a lot going for us. We could do this. And I love it. And we get a description of what Michael's wearing, and he is basically a Templar knight, which is about right. <laughs> right. We meet Thomas and Justine, very scantily clad. And... Thomas is a house wraith of the white court. We learn a little bit about three vampire courts, black, white, and red. And Thomas says, well, only two for all practical purposes. The black court has fallen on hard times of late. The poor darlings. And Thomas introduces Dresden to Justine. And Dresden introduces Thomas to Michael. And Thomas studies the man up and down. It says, dressed as a knight Templar. 
something like that, Michael said. How ironic. And you, Mr. Dresden, your costume is going to make quite a stir. So they go inside, and Thomas describes the decor as rather tacky. And it's, you know, all this marble and, and old school decor, lavishly restored, and Thomas sniffs and says, mm, tacky. Which is just such a vampire snobbery. It's fantastic. And then... Well, when you live forever, I mean, you start to learn what you like and what you really don't like, you know? Yeah. You really that learn about stuff. That is quite true. Um, well, so then um, he shakes... Uh, he shakes Thomas's hand. And figures out Thomas is not the baddie that is backing the nightmare. I must have relaxed visibly because he smiled and said, I passed the test, eh? I don't know what you're talking about. Whatever you say. You're an odd duck, Harry Dresden, but I like you. I would love to play poker with Harry Dresden. <laughs> He's such a delight. I love him. And so they, they are being announced to the room. And Harry says, I shrugged my shoulders to get my cape to fall into place correctly. Tattered red lining flashing against the black cotton exterior. The collar of the thing came up high on either side of my face. The spot glared off the painted gold plastic medallion I wore at my throat. The worn powder blue tux beneath it could have made an appearance at someone's prom in the 70s. The servants at the party had better tuxes than I did. I made sure to smile so that they could see the cheap plastic fangs. <laughs> I suppose the spotlight must have bleached my face out to ghostly whiteness, especially with the white clown makeup I had on. The fake blood drooling out of the corners of my mouth would be standing out bright red against it. I lifted a white-gloved hand and said, slurring a little through the fangs, Hi! How are y'all doing? <laughs> Everybody goes silent, except for Thomas. Thomas is standing around the courtyard with a dis undisguised glee. Then he flashes him a smile and a thumbs up. I think, Michael said, that you've just insulted everyone here. I'm here to find a monster, not make nice with them. Besides, I never wanted to come to this stupid party in the first place. A few hisses and a rasp of steel as someone draws their knives. Or swords. The nervous click-clack of someone with a semi-automatic working the slide. Michael shrugged in his cloak, and I sensed, more than saw him put his hand on the hilt of one of his knives. I think we're about to find out. He previously asked how bad could they be peeved. <laughs> I mean, it's just... So he's, a, he's a cheesy vampire. Ridiculous. Dressed ridiculously. Oh yeah, he's an awful vampire in his 70s tux. So, we find out just how peeved they get. Uh, basically, the entire room is uh, growling at him, and he's not actually uh, feeling as great about his little thumb in their nose as he did before. <laughs> um, but Thomas seems to save the day here. He starts chuckling, and a rich silvery laughter, and uh, merry and mocking, bubbly and scornful, I love. Um, and he basically is calling out Bianca. Um, he says, I've always heard that the Red Court gave its guests a warm welcome. I hadn't thought I'd get such a picturesque demonstration, though, as he turns mm -hmm. to, to Lady Bianca um, and tell, you know, Warren basically threatens to tell his father who runs the White Court um, about My father this. will be hearing about this? Little Draco Malfoy action? <laughs> <laughs> Wait till my father hears about this! You know, Harry 
you know, doesn't apologize by any means. He says, Bianca, dear, uh, I, I, I thought it was a costume party and we were supposed to come as something we weren't. You know, if, if I misread it, you know, false apologies. An if apology, if you will. And it ends up getting him out of it basically for the short term. They get the lights off of Harry and Bianca essentially gives her people the go ahead to do what they can within the rules of hospitality mm-hmm. to, uh, to, to take him down. Um, she says, I, I suppose I shouldn't have expected any more taste from you, Mr. Dresden, though perhaps <laughs> we'll see about your taste later in the evening, but I'm, she'll be here all week. She, he tells her she shouldn't try it. And then she says, many things can change a man's mind as she does a little sexy, um, basic instinct, leg cross situation. <laughs> and, uh, perhaps we'll find something that changes yours. Music. Da, 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 da. They get into the party. So clearly he's like the guest of honor, the last guest to, to stroll in here before we get cracking, I guess. Or maybe they just stop the party for every entrance. Who knows? But um, they end up getting after what they're trying to do here in the first place. They want to start mingling, basically, and trying to get close enough to the different beasties to see if they were the one controlling the nightmare. There's... Another one of those honorific name conversations, which Lissy's pointed out so many times this, yes. episode, this book, that um, he says, oh, that was marvelous, Harry. May I call you Harry? No. But thanks for what you said. Thomas obviously helped him out there, but Thomas is still a white court vampire, and mm-hmm. white court vampires generally aren't friends, as far as friends go. So Harry tells him, you know, he does soften his stance a little bit and, you know, thanks him and, you know, whatever. And Thomas, without missing a beat, says, you know, they still might get dangerous here, Mr. Dresden. He immediately starts referring to him as Mr. Dresden, mm-hmm. which I like. Um, there's a kind of a respectfulness there. There's a good, good exchange here. He says, you know, Thomas says, we, we couldn't have it descending into a general brawl now, could we? We couldn't? No, of course not. There would be far fewer opportunities to dis- seduce and deceive and backstab. Yes, I love that. <laughs> So, as we learn later, the, the red court is more overt with what they do. And still, you know, they work within the laws. But the white court is like, they think of it as, as it's not sporting if you actually have an out-and-out fight. They want to have the best backstab possible. That's kind of how that court uh-huh. works. Which is why uh, that line works both as just a standalone funny line, but also really adds some background and character to mm-hmm. Thomas and the white court. It makes sense. Well, and... and- I mean, later we see this in these chapters, but it does come into play with that. Why Thomas is even there. Yeah, exactly. And that, that is exactly a very white court way to thumb your nose by doing exactly what they want. Mostly. He's the son of the white king. Like, come on, the, the, the most powerful. Yeah. He's, he's the son of the most powerful white court noble. Uh, what, what else do you want? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it though. It's fantastic. Oh, absolutely. So they look around and they see a bunch of different um groups of ch- different groups of children and adults, you know, obviously, but there's some goth subculture with leather and plastic and fishnet. Um the black domino mass and hoods. There's also the 
trio of uh, Dracula's cheerleading squad is that what he refers to them as? I think, I think so. It's pretty spectacular. But though, like, there's the kids with red bands are what? Junior vampires? Marked cattle, I'd say. I mean, that's pretty great, too, because, like, everybody's, there's color coordinated. Yeah. It's like anything else. You know, he mentions it. Is it later in this chapter? It might be the, it might be, he says it coming up where they look at us like we look at cows. Yes. Which is just funny, but exactly the same situation. You're going to like a, mm-hmm. you know, a cattle uh, purchase. <laughs> exactly. It's all color coded and separated into different groups and stuff. So we start to move around the party and we run into our favorite doubles partners here with Kyle and Kelly Hamilton. It's um, it's just fun exchange. And I love that Harry kind of uses the laws of hospitality here to, to pick and poke and prod as best mm-hmm. he can. Kyle, you know, says, Harry Dresden, how pleasant to see you again. And he punches him in the shoulder, friendly, boisterous way, but obviously punches the shit out of him. I wish it was mutual. <laughs> <laughs> of course you remember my sister Kelly sure sure hit that tanning bed a little too long did we So, <laughs> just so good just being the biggest dick possible um, you know, she brings up Miss Rodriguez which is seems out of the blue certainly um, obviously they, they ran into her that first night and they heard you know maybe they heard her say she wanted to go but for me that just seemed kind of out of the blue the first time through um Maybe foreshadowy, maybe not. Maybe I'm reading too deeply into that. I just felt like he was, they were just pushing his buttons because they, they had an understanding about how he felt about her. That's and I think fair. that's just them pushing his buttons because that's what they tend to do. Gotcha. They have a little, I don't think it's that yikesy, but you know, a little, I had no idea you were into men. Like, oh, they're just so big and strong. Conversation about Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, maybe not an ideal, certainly, but it's definitely not overtly atrocious, I don't think. No, I don't, like, no. I don't, it is I don't know. Kind of like they're just trying to be quippy. Yeah, and just get through the conversation. I, you know, I've no problem with it, really. Um, he tries to give Michael a kiss. He says, she's married. And she laughs and presses up close to him. And then... Catches on fire. Where's that? No, that's later after a. Mm-hmm. She wants. She she pushes up to him. She wants to give him a kiss, um. And then she ends up grabbing his steel-clad arm, and it, her hand erupts into a sudden white flame. She screams a piercing wail and falls back to the ground. <laughs> Poor Kelly's just. Literally wrote Kelly's fried again. <laughs> She's having a rough day. I'm telling you what. Um. <laughs> he look, Harry looks at Michael and says, wow, color me surprised. And Michael looks vaguely embarrassed and says, it happens like that sometimes. <laughs> I love it. Good old Michael. But let that, let that be a lesson to you. Hands off the fist of God. So just, <laughs> which is great because Kyle, excuse me, Harry now kind of lays the ground rules there that he's not, he hasn't come unarmed. He hasn't come unprotected. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to come at him, it better be a good shot. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's important because it's, he's not breaking the rules of hospitality. He is just, he's still exactly. just showing what he's got. 
Exactly. And she, uh, she it's important that she grabbed Michael. Yes. Right. M Michael didn't, wasn't the aggressor there. Exactly. And so it's very easy for that to just kind of blow over and it's not be an issue. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Though I also love the Har Harry's parting comment from uh, Kelly and Kyle is, uh, shoo shoo, I have to mingle. <laughs> yeah, just flick, flick him, flicking him away. Oh my gosh, uh, spectacular. Honestly, that relationship has all ended. Every one of their interactions this novel have been great. Um, it's so just, fantastic. It really is just a good little, because they're not really, I mean, they're bad guys. But calling them villains isn't really fair. They're, like, they're just they're henchmen. Yeah, they're lackeys, and it's just such a good... They're Shredder split soldiers, they're not Shredder. Oh, but they do get the best, better of him in the abandoned factory situation, so, you well, know. And the, foot, the foot soldiers get the better of the Ninja Turtles on occasion. That's true, they become more like Rocksteady or Bebop, you know? <laughs> I love a, it. A, a mid-level underling. A mid-level kind of mid henchman? Yeah. I can uh, appreciate that. Middle management. Middle management. There we go. Perfect. So... Harry, in we've talked about this before, the worst thing Harry can do, or rather the best thing for the story, is when Harry wins a small battle or small situation and starts to gloat. Oh, God. Because immediately, things go to hell. But and also so he, on the flip side of that, when things are bad, things can't get anything worse. It's like, dude, just shut up. Yeah, no, they always get worse, I think, is the, the actual <laughs> the moral of the story. But it's like, shut up while you're ahead, bro. He grins as cocky and confident as he could appear, lifted his glass, and sent a toast to hospitality. Oh, yeah. And he drains his glass. Michael takes a fake sip because Michael's not a fucking idiot. <laughs> but he's also, if he, he's also probably a teetotaler. I don't know what that means. It uh, means he doesn't drink alcohol at all. Why do you think that? Um, I, I mean, it could just be that it's a, it's a Templar night thing, but because he just, he doesn't seem to be the kind who, you know, goes out for a few beers or drinks anything at all, but he also doesn't trust the vampire. So I thought it was just a twofer. You've never heard the term, you've never heard the term teetotaler? I mean, I, I wasn't the first time I ever heard the word. It's oh. definitely not, still don't have any idea what it means. <laughs> it, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean... He presumably drinks wine on Sundays at the very least, but that's the blood of Christ, though. It's different. <laughs> I guess te technically to him, it is different. I guess. How deep into transubstantiation are we going to get into our trust? <laughs> Either way, Thomas r runs over to catch up to them and says, There you are. I'm glad I found you in time. In time for what? I asked, or Harry asked, to warn you, the wine is poisoned. Ruh roll. <laughs> and. Poisoned? I said weightlessly. Thomas peered at my face and then down at my goblet. He leaned over it enough to see it was empty and said, Huh. Oops. <laughs> hey. I mean, it's entertaining, but it it is sort of like we're looking a little bit into the Red Court and their political games. Uh, because we uh, Harry obviously makes himself puke. And uh, Michael says, you know, I thought you said they couldn't do anything so overt. They can't, I said. If I pitch over dead, the council would know what happened. I sent word in today that I was coming here tonight. What was in the wine? Thomas doesn't know. And I don't know what they put in it, he said. But we, we see everyone on the ground and they all have wine glasses. All of these young people who are clad in black. And it appears as though all of these people clad in black are drugged. And Harry says, they don't want me dead. Not from this. 
They're drugging everyone's wine, vamp venom. That way they can say they weren't just targeting me. And so this is very much a political game. And it's not overt. And Michael says, or that you just want to get killed or drugged enough to let one of them feed on you. So this is sort of the, they're kind of figuring out how this is all supposed to work and the underhandedness of the red court and their political games. And, you know, Thomas says, rather ham-handed, I suppose, but effective. But it is kind of like, you know, it's like... Just, I, Michael, without risking too much, Michael sticks around for a, a few novels here. And just, I love his outlook on life. Uh, just kind of very blasé, very just you having a good time. That's what I said, isn't it? He said what Michael. Is? Well. I said, I yeah. hope Michael sticks around. I like him. Yeah, no, my, uh, Michael as well. But Thomas is just so... Just this attitude right here, like, oh, whoa, bro. Um, but I just like, how, how gauche, you know, like, what are you doing here? Like, that's so overt. Like, you, you fucking. Well, what you... he even says, I suppose I'm prejudiced. I prefer my prey a little more lively. Mm, okay. Which is very much like, rather than just drugging everybody here. I mean, that makes sense. But that's the dichotomy of Thomas and the Red Court. So he, he does say, You're looking a bit peaked when Michael tells Harry, You could barely stand up. And Harry says, bah, if they want me incapacitated, it means they've got something to hide. Um, and, you know, Harry says, if, they're, if they wanted to seduce me, they'd have tried something else. They're trying to scare me off or keep me from finding something out. But again, these are political intrigue. And Thomas asks why Harry was invited. If she didn't want you here, why'd she invite you? She's obligated to invite the council to witness. That means me in this town. Nobody expected him to show up, but he did. So it's a little bit... You know, he is not doing what is expected. And they didn't think you'd come, Michael murmured. Yeah, ain't I a stinker? Let's see if we can figure, find out exactly who it is. And Thomas asks who it is, and they just kind of, none of your, none of your business, stay out of it, stay out of it. Um, and so he says, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'll not intrude on your business any further. Let me know if there's anything I can do for you. Very polite, very distinguished. But, you know, he's not drawing any lines in the sand he was like hey it's all good um but you know then we realize there's there's some themes going on here color-coded there's the the food in black vampires in red and then there's harry and michael and then a handful of other people in different costumes we've got a roman centurion and a quote hamlet looking guy which is hilarious um and so they this Harry has, Harry has a moment where he's like, I could just go. I should just go because if I get, you know, he's, he's feeling sick. And he, he says, um, I was surrounded by things that looked at people like we look at cows and felt fairly sure I was going to get myself killed if I stayed. Of course, if I didn't stay, other people could get killed. If I didn't stay, the people who had already been hurt remained in danger. Charity. Michael's infant son. Murphy. If I didn't stay, the nightmare would have time to recuperate. And then it and its corporate sponsor, who I thought was here at this party, would feel free to keep taking pot shots at me. This is again Harry putting the greater good above his own safety. And Michael, speaking of greater good, is looking around and is just like, this is an, he says, this is an abomination before the Lord, Harry. These people, they're barely more than children. What they're doing, 
consorting with these things. Michael, chill out. We're here to get information, not bring down the house on a bunch of nasties. Samson did. Michael said, yeah, and look how well things turned out for him. You ready? And it's just kind of like, again, Harry's very tongue-in-cheek kind of perspective on these biblical references that Michael's making. <laughs> I mean, it's great. And then we come across a the Roman centurion who's smoking. And Harry's like, holy shit, his costume looks so well manner, manner of speaking. Well, he is smoking. <laughs> and then we find out that he's not, his cigarette is not lit. And we learn that the Roman centurion is a dragon. And it's Mr. Pharaoh. But there's a thing about this dragon. And he obviously has some power. He says Harry's name. And Harry says, when someone, anyone says your name, it touches you. You almost feel it, that sound that stands out from a crowd of others and demands your attention. When a wizard says your name, when he says it and means it, it has the same effect, amplified a thousandfold. The man in the centurion gear said part of my name, capital N, and said it exactly right. It felt like someone had just rung a tuning fork and pressed it against my teeth. He had only used a part of Harry's true name, capital N, and it knocked Harry back. Like, so Michael had to kind of prop him up. Like, this guy's got some fucking power. And Harry said, you know, he's like, how the hell did you do that? He's, you wouldn't understand. You're not white counsel. How very fortunate for me. I appreciate that. But then he says, you may call me Mr. Pharaoh. Why don't I just call you Pharaohvax, Michael said. Mr. Pharaoh narrowed his eyes and regarded Michael with a dispassionate gaze. You know something of the lore, at least, mortal. Wait a minute, I said. Dragons? Dragons are supposed to be big. Scales, claws, wings. This guy isn't big. Pharaoh rolled his eyes and said impatiently, We are what we wish to be, Master Drafton. Dresden, I snapped. He waved a hand. Don't tempt me to show you what I can do by speaking your name and making an effort, mortal. Suffice it to say that you could have... Suffice to say that you could not comprehend the kind of power I have at my command. And this, we learn he's a little powerful, at least in his mind. I am the eldest of my kind and the strongest. Your life is a flickering candle to me, and your civilizations rise and fall like grass in the summer. And Harry, being a smartass, I don't know about your true form, but the weight of your ego sure is pushing the crust of the earth towards a breaking point. <laughs> and you know Harry's trying to stand up he said you think I'm gonna stand here and offer you my firstborn and sacrifice versions to you or something I'm not that impressed and Pharaoh says let's see if we can make an impression and rather than Harry being able to respond with a spell he feels as though 5,000 pounds is crushing him Michael <laughs> I love this moment Michael looked down at me dispassionately and then said to Pharaoh Cirothorax should have learned that trick. It might have kept me from killing him. And Pharaoh's a little distracted, so Harry comes out of the pressure. I love this. Um, you are the one, he said. He looked Michael up and down. I thought you'd be taller. Michael shrugged. It wasn't anything personal. I'm not proud of what I did. Pharaoh tapped <laughs> a finger against the hilt of his sword, then said quietly, 
Sir Knight, I would advise you to be more humble in the face of your betters. He cast a disdainful glance at me, and you might consider a gag for this one until he can learn better manners. (laughs) I love that. And then Michael tells Harry, you're not the biggest kid on the block. You've got to learn to be more, a little more polite. Good advice, I wheezed. Next time you handle any dragons. I, I love their rapport. I love their interactions. It's just Michael is so <laughs> serious and so re- realistic. Oh, it's great. And Harry is just tongue in cheek and a snarky one. And I, I think it's fantastic. Um, but I do really like how we get a little bit more about different creatures in the world. You know, we learned about dragons and holy shit, there's dragons. And Harry's like, holy shit, there's dragons. That was my response. Because that's how Michael met Charity. He saved her from a dragon. Yes. Yes. But, it, but it's not, it's different when it's, you know, oh, it's just this backstory until, oh shit, there is a dragon here. Oh, damn. Oh yeah. And he can floor Harry just by looking oh, at Oh yeah. Him. I mean, he's powerful. So we do end up then get a little insight into what the big bad could be. The, uh, quote, corporate sponsor of the nightmare. And, you know, so Harry says, okay, we need to talk to the Hamlet guy and then just Bianca herself. Not one of the other vampires, Michael asked. No way. They're all subordinate to Bianca. If they were that strong, they'd have knocked her off by now, unless they were in her inner circle. That's Kyle and Kelly. She doesn't have the presence of mind for it, and he's already out. So if it's not a guest, it's probably Bianca. And if it's not her, let's not go there. I'm flattering enough as it is. And then something approaches Michael's back in red. And remember, red is our vampires. And so Harry screams, look out. And it turns out it's Susan dressed as Little Red Riding Hood. She's wearing a low-cut white blouse and a little pleated skirt, complete with white knee socks and buckle-down shoes. And she's carrying a wicker basket. And this is a little moment that it kind of irritated me because it's just like, oh, dear God, this bitch just can't keep her nose out of shit. But I also love that, you know, Harry's like, I'm in danger. And she's like, relax, Harry. I'm not letting anyone lick me, and I'm not looking anyone in the eyes. It's kind of like visiting New York. And she's trying to act like she's belongs. Like that she's fine, she's safe. And then we meet someone who tells her she's not. It means, Little Red Riding Hood, that the big bad wolf gets to eat you all up. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so... We certainly didn't need the Lenanshi to make things worse here, but um, she chose to show up and make things worse. Mm-hmm. It is obviously a shit show here. We're obviously in the lion's den. That doesn't. Two of shit. them are protected very, very vaguely by the right of hospitality, but as we've already seen, it only goes so far, and. Now, we still haven't found who we're looking for. We still have no evidence of the Nightmare's puppeteer. And now we have to figure out how to get Susan out of here as well. It's very much a bad situation to be anytime Leah shows up. 
it's generally speaking never a good thing. Every single time she's shown up, she's gone hell, so. I'm trying to think of an exception to that, but I'm sure there are some, because Leah is obviously an all-powerful immortal being, and she maybe she shows up at a the opportune moment once or twice in a series. And this is definitely not one of those exceptions. <laughs> Why, Godmother, what big eyes we have? Are we straining the metaphor or what? I don't make me metaphors, Harry. You don't make metaphors, Harry. I'm too busy being one. Enjoy the party. That's, that's my Godmother, in case we were wondering. Um... <laughs> Oh, sure. Watching him, watching him poison and drug children and getting roughed up by every weird and nasty thing in Chicagoland is a real treat. We have to get out of here. And here again, I love Susan. I, in digging into this you know, podcast as we were digging into the lore and the fandom as we were preparing for this podcast, a couple things struck me. One, that Murphy was more popular than I thought. I liked her well enough, but a lot of people really were, are big fans. And a lot of people didn't like Susan. Which is surprising to me, because I thought Susan was <laughs> pretty great. Um, and yeah, I held a couple scenes, basically one scene in book two against Murphy. Apparently, a lot of people hold this scene against Susan against her. Uh, it's just kind of funny that, I guess, in the end, we're all immature children <laughs> in the universe, Dresden or otherwise. But she is basically resisting... Like, they want to give up their task now Very just overall. to get her the fuck out of here. And she's saying, uh, no, I don't have any interest in leaving. I'm trying to get a story. I'm trying to do these things. And which is just, it's like the <sighs> lowest lane on steroids, I guess. But like, she just isn't, it's not realistic. I don't think. I just don't think it's realistic how dangerous this situation is. She has to recognize mm -hmm. that. Like, even trying to go for the story, even knowing she's got, you know, some tools and toys in her picnic basket, I, I just don't see this as realistic. And mm -hmm. it is a pretty pivotal scene. And so it kind of colors my whole appreciation for the novel because of it, which is just dumb. It's one character making a choice that is a smidge off, but it really does resonate, I feel. Well but she fights back. In my you know, opinion she, on right? that, though, is she she doesn't have the whole picture, but she thinks she does. So I think that uh, I don't think it's completely out of character for her. Yes, it's irritating and annoying, but I don't see it as completely off the rocker. If that makes sense. Yeah. Me neither, but when Michael and Harry are like, we have to get the fuck out of here. Like, we, we really, really need to go. And she's still resisting. I just feel like, I mean, I guess you're right. I don't, again, mischaracterization, I don't necessarily think. It's more just, like I said, it's a smidge off. And I'm trying to describe why I feel that way. But she's in a room full of fucking vampires. Like, lady, like, you're not stupid. This whole... We're three, three novels in. You are, have been described very reasonably, very regularly as clever, intelligent, sharp. Like, they're the two strongest protectors of humans and vanquishers of evil you know in existence are trying to shuffle you out of this room at their peril, and you're resisting. Again, I don't think she, is, she knows as much as she should. Because there's a lot of shit they're keeping under wraps 
Yeah, and that's the problem. Yeah. But that's also yeah, the I, problem I, with Murphy. It's and this is part of it emphasizes some of Harry's inability to allow these women this information. That was kind of how I saw it. Where yeah. it's, you know. No, I agree. And I'm glad you have that perspective because that is the kind of stated in-universe mm-hmm. reason. She doesn't have enough info. I'm just trying to think what other info could he have given her. I mean, that's more for a conversation for the end of the novel, I think. So let's put a pin in that because that is an important question. And it's something that we do come back to later. So let's let's try to remember that because write it on one of your note cards before you knock it over that I want to hear more thoughts on that, but let, let's get through this one because her, her information base. So again, the conversation continues with, you know, Susan, this isn't a game. I don't think I, I don't think I can protect you. And then Susan says, I can protect, I can, I came prepared. I can protect myself. It's like lady. I mean, he's yeah, a goddamn wizard. She, it's the it's the whole idea of is she is not getting all of the information. I understand that, and she doesn't, and she has, especially throughout this novel, she's been shuffled aside, and so she's mad at Harry on top of any any good decision she's she's making is also colored by their yeah. personal relationship, where he's been shunting to her to the side for at least a week here, like every night, just pushing her aside, not answering her phone calls, not getting, not returning her phone calls, you know, you know, standing her up. I, I, I understand there's more to it than just what's happening here. I think, I think there's just, so, I think good. There are parts of it that make sense due to her personality, the swiping, the invitation and making a copy of it. And, and she was trying to talk to him while he was trying to wrangle a demon. But she's, it's again, another, we've had this conversation on multiple occasions. It's another situation, another issue that could have been avoided had they communicated. And this is one of those things in movies and novels. I hate the blatant lack of communication as a plot device. And False exactly. conflict. It's a hundred percent false conflict, and this is a huge, huge annoyance because it's just why couldn't Michael have been on the phone with her and said, "Oh, well, he's busy right now. He's fighting a demon." Simple as that. Yeah, like yeah, he'll call you back. Although he he doesn't call her back right after that, which he really should. I mean, they had other things on their plate. I would forget too if I'd been fighting a demon. I mean, at least I think I, I've never fought demons, but I mean. I would think. I refuse to believe that you haven't fought one. I mean, nothing. You don't need to talk about (laughs) it with the listeners, but don't lie to them. You don't got to give them all the information, but lying is not. Not that I'm aware of, at least. You're lying to a horse right now. How dare you? You're lying to a horse. horse. I'm sorry, horse. How dare you? (laughs) We find out that. Basically, I mean, Leah is obviously the one technically doing this to him or actually doing this to him. But technically, it's because Harry broke faith. We talked about this last week that there's going to be consequences. And this is kind of one of them. His own power is starting to turn against him. And 
he's kind of on the floor suffering and Leah offers to sell his debt to Susan. And we get a great exchange where Michael says, she's a fairy. A she. She's like, fuck you. I'm not a fairy. You goddamn ape. Um, which I just love. Um, a fair. And then he says it again. A fairy, Miss Rodriguez. And they're prone to making bargains and to getting the better of mortals when they do. How much, witch? How much for you to make this stop hurting Harry? Why, puppet? What you offer? Uh, she doesn't have any money. And she's like, obviously, Leah doesn't want money. She, such pretty eyes, even though they're dark. They'll do. She wants her eyes. Then she wants her name. Susan obviously says no to all of these things. This is going to be a running theme, I think, for all 17 plus novels that I'm going to do Leah's voice in the most ridiculous, awful. I, I fully worst support ver- that. Worst version, worst version of a Cockney that I can do, which also doubles as my best version of a Cockney. <laughs> That's uh, fantastic. Uh, Susan knows not to give her her name, which is great. So she yes. does know a little bit. Again, kind of like what you're saying, that she knows enough to know. She knows enough but she doesn't to get know herself it all. into trouble. Mm-hmm. And I think that's this is this this event is a perfect example of that. She knows enough to get herself into trouble. Again. Oop. Again, I, I'm not gonna let Susan off the okay. hook that easily. I do think she she is has more agency than you're giving her. I also agree that Harry probably could have laid it out a little bit more clearly. <laughs> Uh, I do think this is as emotional as it is intellectual. Of an, oh no, of this an, interaction uh, is completely emotional. I don't believe that it's it's irrational at all. It's totally something oh. she would do. Well, I mean, her, oh, yeah, trip her trip to this trip party. party is, but definitely, this you know, she now obviously realizes Harry's in trouble. She wants she wants to stop it, and then. She wants to take Susan's love. She's like, honey, you want me to love you? You got a lot of surprises coming if you think it works I, that I way. I love that. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. I didn't ask you to love me. I asked for your love. Well, love, that too steep price. Perhaps memory will do instead. Uh, perhaps her memory will do instead. <laughs> My memory? Not all of it. Indeed, only some. Perhaps the worth of one year. Yes, I think that mm. would suffice. Susan looked uncertain. And basically, Leah says, all right, well, then mm-hmm. fuck off. And she says, wait, I'll make the trade for Harry's sake. One year of my memory, and you make whatever is happening stop. Done. I don't know how to say one word in a weird Cockney accent, but done. Leah, Leah basically t- puts a kiss on Susan's forehead, does a little shiver with the tips of her breast hardening, because tips of breasts and hardening so are things that happen, happen all over the place rub. around Leah. <laughs> And then Michael kind of chases her off. Michael tries to make another trade, myself for the sword. <laughs> Which is... I mean... He's like, no bargains, no bargains, no bargains. I'll trade myself for the sword! Yeah. <laughs> Michael, relax. So, Leah steps away. They, Harry is, gets a little bit of relief, and they kind of... Harry, Michael picks him up, and... Stars and stones, if this is some kind of a self-inflicted spell, I'll have to talk to Bob about this one later. What about you, Michael? Are you all right? Well enough, but we still don't have a culprit, and it's getting late. I've got a bad feeling that we're going to run into trouble if we don't get out of this place I've soon. I've got a bad <laughs> feeling about this. <laughs> you think, Michael? <laughs> i got a feeling you're right. Susan, are you okay? You ready to get out of here? Susan brushed her hair idly back from her face with one hand and turned to stare at me. 
frowning slightly. What? I asked. Look, you didn't have to do what you did, but we can work on getting it taken care of. Let's just get out of here, okay? Okay, she said. Then her frown deepened, and she peered at me. This is going to sound odd, but... Do I know you? Eek. And, you know, Harry says, I I stared at Susan in mute disbelief. Oh, I'm sorry. I I mean, I didn't mean to upset you, Mr. Dresden. I supplied in a whisper. Mr. Dresden, then. She frowned down at herself and smoothed the hand uncomfortably over the skirt, then looked around her. Dresden. Aren't you the guy who just opened a business as a wizard? Uh. (laughs) Oh, son of a... Harry? I think we need to leave, rather than stand about cursing. Michael, shut up! <laughs> and then... Give me this Susan, woman! can you drive... Did you drive here? Hey, she said. I don't know you, okay? My name is Miss Rodriguez. We're back to the honorifics. This is the one I referenced mm-hmm. when you brought it up. That it's like, it's kind of weird. Like, I get doing it to Thomas, because Thomas is a bad guy. Um... He's a vampire. Like, obviously, like, you don't want vampires being your buddy-buddy, but, like, this is... What? Like, my name is Miss Rodriguez. Like, shut the fuck up, lady. Like, we're trying to get out of here. Like, I I don't know. I I guess people deserve to be called what they want to be called, but, like, I've never once in my life thought, like, oh, you don't get to call me Josh. You you need to call me... I mean, I have pulled out the asshole card when somebody was being rude to me. And they called me Miss Mosier. I'd say Deputy Mosier when I was a deputy coroner. When they, well, yeah, but you were you were law enforcement, so by definition, you have to be an no, asshole. I wasn't being an asshole. They were being an asshole. Um, uh-huh. but you know, it's uh-huh. it's and I and I uh-huh. stop. And uh, I do get this. I too totally understand it. It's just that's because when. Before they became a thing that he, like, the very first scene we see her in, in Stormfront, he calls her Miss Rodriguez. That's true. And he does go back to that when he's on the phone with her. When they're being professional and she's here because she's working a story. That's fair. So, um, but it's, uh, my fairy godmother just stole a year's worth of your memory. Actually, Michael put in, you traded it away to her to keep some kind of spell from leaving Harry helpless. And now you don't remember me, or I guess Michael. Or this fairy godmother either, Susan said, her face and stand still wary. I shot Leah a look. She glanced over at me, and her lips curved up into a smirk before she turned back to her conversation with Thomas. Oh, damn, she's such a little bitch. Susan rolled her eyes. This is, I think, is again terribly entertaining and one of those cliche moments in any like amnesia story. Look, guys, it's been nice chatting with you, but this has got to be the lamest excuse for a pickup line I've ever heard. And so Harry reaches out to her and she pulls out a like army knife out of the the, the wicker basket. And it's just like that's spectacular. Girlfriend's armed. A bear. Uh, and it's great. It's fantastic. And so we learned a little bit about what Susan remembers. I remember coming here. I remember having the counterfeit invitation made. I know I said, you got it off my living room table. Do you remember that? I got it. Her expression flickered and she swallowed, glancing around. I don't remember where I got it. There, I said, do you see? Do you remember driving out to bail me out of jail a couple of nights ago? She lowered the knife by now. I, 
I remember I went down to the jail and, and paid the bail money, but I, I can't think. Okay, okay, I said. My head hurt, and I pinched the bridge of my nose between my thumb and forefinger. It looks like she took all of your memories that had me directly in them. Or her. What about Michael? Do you remember him? She looked at Michael and shook her head. Okay, then. I need to ask you to trust me, Miss Rodriguez. You've been affected by magic, and I don't know how we can get it fixed yet. But you're in danger. And I think you should leave. Not with you, she said. I have no idea who you are other than some kind of psychic consultant for special investigations. She does know something about him because he doesn't put that out there. There's some aspect of her memory that is still there or that was just an error in storytelling. Um, but that was the thing where it's like you're, you work as a consultant for special investigations. She doesn't know that. So I think that's an interesting little bit there. Um. I think she would because she's in a. Remember, she knows he opened a, a wizard yeah, because business. He's in the. He's in the she's a yeah. reporter, so a, a wizard business. She'd certainly be looking Maybe. into him. And it's public record that Harry works for SI as a psychic consultant, right? It's a line item. So I don't. I think it just means that she's been looking mm -hmm. into him for a while and investigating him. You know, I don't think it means okay. anything nefarious. Yeah. Uh, okay. So Harry is trying to figure out what else is going on. He brings up his sight uh, just for a moment. And the sight cut through the enchantment in front of me like sunlight through a wispy cloud. Behind me, Michael and Susan both took in sharp breaths of surprise. The Hamlet lookalike stood three stairs up, half smiling. I realized only then that the figure was a woman rather than a man. The slender shape of her slim hips and breasts obscured by the sable doublet she wore, giving her an odd, androgynous appearance. Her skin was pallid, not pale, not creamy, pallid, translucent, almost grayish. Her lips were tinged, very faintly blue, as though she'd been recently chilled or dead. I shivered and lowered the sight before it showed me something that I didn't want to keep with me. And she had an actual human skull in her hand that had blood stains on it. <laughs> Gross. Creepy, even for me. Well done, wizard, she said. Her voice sounded raspy, a quiet hissing whisper. Ooh, I, I like that <laughs> The kind one. that comes from throats and mouths, which are perfectly dry. Very few can see me when I do not wish to be seen. And we learn that this delightful creature is Mavra. And she is a vampire. Michael recognizes her and says she is no lady. He had his hand on his knife. Harry Dresden, Wizard of the White Council. This is Mavra of the Black Court of Vampires. We learned earlier that the Black Court's a little shady or kind of going extinct. We didn't get a lot of information, but we got a vampire. And Susan, being the reporter that she is, clicks on her tape recorder, which I kind of love. I freaking love I do that. Love that. Uh, and Mavra says, uh, to meet you at last, wizard. We should talk. I suspect we have much in common. I'm failing to see anything we might ha possibly have in common, madam. Uh, do you two know each other? Yes, Michael said. Maver's whisper became chill. The good knight here murdered my children and grandchildren some small time ago. Twenty years ago, Michael said. Three dozen people killed in the space of a month. Yes, I put a stop to it. Maver's lips curved a little more and showed yellow teeth. Yes, just a little time ago. I haven't forgotten, Knight. Well, 
Well, I said, it's been nice chatting with you, Mavra, but we're on our way out. No, you're not, Mavra said calmly, but for her lips and eyes, she still hadn't moved. It was an eerie stillness, not real. Real things move, stir, breathe. Mavra didn't. Yes, we are. No, two of you are on your way out, her smile turned chilly. I know that the invitations only said one person could be brought with you. Therefore, one of your companions is not under the protection of the old laws, wizard. If the knight is unprotected, then he and I will have words. It's a pity you do not have Amaranthus with you, sir knight. It would have made things interesting, at least. So, we are learning that that, that invitation was a little important. And Susan manufacturing that invitation has fucked us all over. Mm -hmm. Well, just one of them. She says, choose which two are leaving. Then I will have a brief conversation with the third. You mean you'll kill them? One must eat after all. And these dazzled morsels the Reds brought tonight are too sweet and insubstantial for my taste. And I love how he says to Michael, if I get Susan out of here, can you take this bitch? You might as well not whisper, Harry. It can hear you. Yes, Mavra said. It can. Way to go, Harry. Endear yourself to the monsters, why don't you? Well, I asked Michael, can you? Michael looked at me for a moment, his lips pressed together. Then he said, take Susan and go. I'll manage. So noble, so pure, so self-sacrificing. And Susan, this is the idiot Susan. Now, just a minute. I'm a big girl. I knew the risks when I came. I'm sorry, Miss Rodriguez, but this is what I do. Save me from chauvinist pigs, Susan muttered. Excuse me, what do you think you're doing? Looking in your picnic basket, I responded as I flipped open one cover. I whistled. You came armed for bear, Miss Rodriguez. Holy water, garlic, two crosses. Is that a 38? A 45? Garlic, Michael mused. The black court was nearly wiped out, Thomas said. I wonder if that's because they got a little too much publicity. Do you mind, Miss Rodriguez? I reached into the basket and produced a nice smelly clove of garlic, then idly flicked it through the air toward Mavra. The vampire didn't retreat. She simply blurred, then stood several steps higher than she had. Then stood several steps higher than she had been a moment before. The garlic clove bounced against the stairs where she'd been and tumbled back down toward us. I bent down and picked it up. I'd say that's a big yes. Is that what happened, hmm? Stoker published the big book of black court vampire slangs. Those drowned blue lips peeled back from her yellow teeth. No fangs. It matters little. You are beings of paper and cotton. I could tear apart a dozen score of your kind. Unless they had an extra spicy pizza, I guess. I mean, he's just such a fucking smart ass. But, you know, it's interesting it's and dick. she spreads her hands, and blackness rushes to fill her hands. And she says, Try to force your way past me with that weapon, wizard, and I will take it as an attack upon my person and defend myself appropriately. Uh, whoops. And that's when he realizes Mavra is the corporate sponsor. Michael? I said, my voice strangled. Steel rasps as he drew one of his knives. Um, her hands doing that? Can vampires do that? Wizards can, I said. Get behind me. <laughs> so that's a little terrifying. It's not, uh, not terrifying. And so they, right? Uh, 
Harry reaches out to his will and it's shaky and uncertain. He's just like a pump that's lost its prime. And it's a little bit by little bit, but he's still trying to call it. And he says, her dead man's eyes looked down at me and I had an abrupt understanding of why Michael had called her it. Mavra wasn't a woman anymore. Whatever she was, she wasn't a person. Not like I understood people in any case. Those eyes pulled at mine, pulled at me with a kind of horrid fascination, the same sickly attraction that makes you want to see what's under the blanket in the morgue, to turn over the dead animal and see the corruption beneath. I fought and kept my eyes away from hers. Come, wizard, Maver whispered, her face utterly without expression. Let us test one another, thou and I. But she doesn't take the first shot. And Harry says, because then you'd be breaking the truce. Strike, wizard, or do not strike, and I will take the mortal of your choice from you. You cannot claim the protection of hospitality to them both. Get out of the way, Mavra, or don't get out of the way. If you try to stop us from leaving, if you try to hurt anyone under my protection, you'll be dealing with the Wizard of the White Council, a Knight of the Sword, and a girl with a basket full of garlic and holy water. I don't care how big, bad, and ugly you are. There won't be anything left of you but a greasy spot on the floor. That greasy spot. <laughs> Keeps coming I back. I love that. It really does. And then uh, um, Michael, with his cross cross power um it harry describes it as which burned with a kind of purity and quiet power i had never seen before blood of a dragon that old serpent michael said quietly you and yours have no power here your threats are hollow your words are empty of truth just as your heart is empty of love your body empty of life cease this now before you tempt the wrath of the almighty he glanced aside at me and added probably for my benefit or before my friend Harry turns you into a greasy spot on the floor. <laughs> I just had to read that part because of that. I love it. And she's um, no matter. She says the hour is up. What hour is she talking about Dresden? And it's the hour of socialization. All the lights go out and then Thomas and Justine are there and there's Thomas is a red angry mark on his neck and <laughs> Harry says, I sensed a faint odor of burnt meat in the air. What happened to your neck? His face paled a few shades. Your godmother gave me a kiss. Damn. Well put. Are you ready? Ready for what? For court to be held, to be given our gifts. And then Bianca shows up. She's gory and bloody and, you know, her boobs are hanging out. And Harry... All rise. Vampire court is now in session. Which is ridiculous and entertaining. <laughs> but I appreciate it. Good stuff. Uh, it it yes. leads us leads us in wait, next wait, week's wait. is gonna be outstanding. I'm very excited about that. This definitely leaves us in a good spot. Awesome. And uh let's kick over to some analysis. All right. Very good stuff. Some interesting lore. We met a yeah. new type of vampire again for like the seventh week in a row. Um, but uh, what are your thoughts on this week's uh, lore and questions and analysis, Liz? Well, 
We go back to the honorifics again, going back and forth with honorifics, the Mr. and Mrs. and things like that, with Harry, with Thomas, and with Susan. Um, this seems to be these. I like that this is a, a kind of theme that runs throughout. We've seen it in every single novel, and I kind of like that that that's sort of like a push and pull. And it is a little bit of a power trip thing, but that works for me. Uh, you know, and I, there are a couple of elements that I really loved. I loved Michael's armor, um, and I loved how it's Kelly who got fried again. Made me giggle. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> Poor Kelly. Right? So fantastic. And Mavra is fantastic. She's super creepy and awful. Oh, she's great. That voice she did was also really good. Oh. That helped add the creepiness. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, it's we we get more of the world. We have our dragon. We have the black court. We have the red court. We have the white court. White. And it's all of these different types. But it's all there. The, this, these chapters kind of felt like a lot of political intrigue. Where it's your, you know, the strict rules of rules of engagement, where you've got the rules of hospitality, you've got they're poisoning everybody to make it not look like you're targeting somebody. And it's, you know, they're blocking, they're, uh, Mevra is blocking their exit. And it's all, there's a game. There's, it's all these, this shell game that feels like very much like political intrigue, something that you would see in, in, uh, you know, something that deals with the royals. It's very interesting. And I kind of dug that. Uh, and there's so much, not necessarily like crazy action that happens, but there are so many plot points. Harry gets poisoned. Maver shows up. Susan sells part of her memory to Leah. We meet a fucking dragon, which I just love. Oh, I lo Faravax was incredible. I loved him. I mean, and the power that he has with saying Harry's name. Um, but it's just, you know, we learn so much about the world and about the world of the vampires and is such, it is politics. And and it's, that's something, you know, you have the politics of the vampire court is in a lot of vampire stories, but I love how it's done here. Which part was that? Sorry. The vampire, the lore of the vampires and it's, it's the political, where it's all, there's so much politics in the vampire court, which you see in a lot of other novels and a lot of other vampire stories. But I love the way that it's done here because it's, you know, you've got a fucking dragon. Oh, it also makes sense, though, right? Because you think they're oh, immortal. 100%. So when yeah. you have these immortal beings, of course they're going to have intrigue and, like, constantly mm -hmm. be rallying because you can't just wait them out. <laughs> and I also love the that Bram Stoker's Dracula was a how to kill black court vampires. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Where I love how we're using known literature, known pieces of art as part of the lore. I really love that. I really so, love how Butcher did that. So we, we, we learn later that the White Court was instrumental in getting that published and disseminated. Oh, my God. I love that even more. <laughs> but again, that adds more to the politic. Oh, exactly. It's, it's great. Fantastic. And that makes sense. And even the, the, the characters we see from the three courts, we've got Mavro, we've got Thomas, and we've got Bianca. And from what it seems like, they're all very different types. They're all very different. You know, Thomas is like, oh... You know, everything has to be out, in the, everything out in the open versus everything not out in the open. And then we've got Mavra, who's fucking creepy and is all hell. And it's just all of these types of, um, the types of vampires within these courts. It's fascinating. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And obviously the lore behind those continue to grow mm -hmm. and progress as we get through it. But it's just like everything else. It's really interesting. And I, I do love how the three kind of standard bearers we have for each court are so different. And kind of give you a 
a window into each court is really just a great, I love that you kind of picked up on that and the, mm-hmm. the way that Bianca is a good representation of what we know about the red court, kind of the, with the flesh masks and the, the gross, greasy, disgusting, mm-hmm. flabby things underneath, which I don't know if that came from some other lore or if that's just straight I butcher weird mind. No, I was trying I, to I, think about I'd never heard of anything like that. Sorry, to me cut you off. I just, I, I was agreeing with you that I, I'd never heard of it. And I, I imagine that's his creation mm-hmm. and I love it. And I don't know that's if that's, that's what he wanted all vampires to be like. And then he kind of backtracked after Stormfront or what, but it's a really cool addition to vampire mm-hmm. lore. And I love that there's still room for the white court, which we know nothing about. And they're going to be a very different type of vampire as well. And then the black court, which is the, you know, Bram Stoker's vacuum, Bram Stoker's vampire that we're used to and familiar with. And it's just cool that we get the different angles of lat, just like mm-hmm. we saw all the different types of werewolves and kind of different strength levels. Basically, you know, if, if you thought of it, it, you know, we'll find a place for it in the Dresden first, which is kind of cool. Definitely. But it's, it's where each of these types of creatures, types of mythical supernatural beings they're not one trick ponies. And I love that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my big, honestly, my big note was just the word Pharovax with three circles around it. <laughs> I just thought he was so cool. Oh, he uh, was awesome. And we didn't Great. learn, we don't learn much about dragons, capital D, but we do learn that they're powerful as fuck. Mm-hmm. It certainly adds to Michael's power because we know he defeated one on his own. Somehow yeah. he went in and just took out Seriothrax. And we um, learned the name of it, and that it's a big deal. I love that. Yeah, and I do like how he drops that name to piss off Pharovax too. You know, oh like, yeah, you know, you just just ask Seriothrax what he thinks about that, right? No, no. Oh wait, we can't do that. <laughs> it is fantastic. It truly is. Oh, good shit. So beyond that, I, I mean, I was just again, there's a lot of political intrigue. This mm-hmm. is, you know, I, I mentioned it before that like. I don't know if it made the pot or it's got cut or something, but like Game of Thrones or really all of A Song of Ice and Fire is it's a political series. It's not a book series about dragons and magic. Mm-hmm. It's a at its heart. It's a political maneuvering series about how different families are positioning themselves to win power and how you know they, they're fighting wars over power. The dragons mm-hmm. are and zombies and there's ice zombies in the first chapter. And there's dragons in the last chapter of the first book. And they're very important, sort of. But really, at its core, it's just this. It's, it's a political intrigue. And there happen to be these other things going on. There's these fantasy elements peppered into a political story, which is really what is happening here as well, is that mm-hmm. this is just politics. You know, we're trying to figure out who's the bad guy here, who's, who's causing problems, who's trying to nose into Harry's kind of business here. And, you know, his business being protecting Chicago in this case. And there just happen to be all these fantastic elements that might be the bad guy. It's just an interesting kind of juxtaposition. We see all the time, right, with the detective stories versus part of the story versus the Mm -hmm. fantasy part. This is just similar in that it's just kind of a political intrigue kind of angle. You see the, the vampire courts working against each other with Thomas kind of ribbing Bianca. Mm -hmm. And we see Mavra obviously is, seems to be more popular with Bianca because she's you know high up on the steps and hanging out up there. But there's definitely that, you know, there's all this maneuvering going on that some of which Harry's 
akin, you know, aware of, and some of it he's not. But it just makes for a very interesting sub story within our story. What's going on at this party? And there's a lot of stuff if you read it closely. Supposedly, there's stuff that is going to come back way later that we even haven't even gotten to by Battleground. That mm-hmm. stuff in this in this scene resonate throughout that we do know and also resonate throughout where we haven't found out how yet as well. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yikes. All right. So, you know, we definitely have um, our daily tips of her breast. Oh God. Reference. That's exciting. So uh, drink. His girls need to get lined bras. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Also, he needs to learn the word nipple. That too. That too. What else you got on the, the yikesy front there besides God. Leah's well, I mean, tips? Leah and then like Justine, the description of Justine, where it just kind of felt like she was a little girl, a little uncomfortable there. Um, but for them, but the thing is, is that so much. Well, the the of- Justine one was, you kind of brushed through that a little bit quicker. The Justine one wasn't great. And again, she's dressed no. that way for the party. So yeah. there, you know, again, she's allowed to wear whatever the fuck she wants, and he is just describing. But he also it's, it's describes very, very Thomas, notable for sure. He describes he Thomas describes similarly. Thomas yeah. very similarly. So that's why I didn't take too much affront to it. Yeah, but no, it was very much like it feels like she's like seventeen. Yeah, it feels like she's, she's a kid, not, but, and yeah. also he is super. He's a he's a vampire he's supernaturally beautiful you know so like she's she is i guess we don't know it at the time but she is just a human um which may or may not matter to your sensibilities or not just worth Mm -hmm. noting again it wasn't the worst ever again this is if this is the worst you got i mean this is i i can live with that in a fantasy book series about vampires and maidens and stuff you know yeah yeah no and and it's there's some sometimes it irritates me more than others um but I do like how he described Bianca and then was like, but I'm not interested because I know what she actually is. With Bianca? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, no, I thought that was great. Very, very cool in that regards. It, you know, because it works. It makes sense. That's how it should be. Yeah, and again, it, like, we're kind of discussing the yikesy stuff in this one. Is what how people describe to me when I suggest that what we're doing with this podcast, you know, whenever I get pushback on it, the way stuff is described in this novel is how they Um, think stuff is described in Stormfront. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And it's it's not the same. It's not at all. And often they're not Mm -hmm. supernatural. And it is way worse in the first couple. And kind of by working through that nuance. These ones are way better, even though they do yeah. sound similar. There's similarities, but as a competent, thoughtful adult human being, mm-hmm. you can contextualize where one is a corpse of a human woman and one mm-hmm. is a supernatural vampire woman. You know what I mean? Like those mm-hmm. are different things, and you should describe them differently. Yeah, and I agree. If you don't understand, of course you do. You're on the podcast. <laughs> But one of the things that baffles me most of the time, anytime we get pushback on the pod, that that is almost always where it is. Is like, well, it's just like, well, that's that's a dumb thing to say, but okay, you uh-huh. do you. Um, but alas, <laughs> that's all I got. I gotcha. 
so yeah, so not a ton of yikes. Again, this section of the the certainly for this book has been a lot less uh, problematic, and I I love it. So, um, I'm gonna get into some uh, quotes here. What do you got? Yes. Okay. I have two. One of them I kind of already glossed over, but I'm going to say it again because it still entertains the hell out of me. Um, let me find the page. I write down page numbers. Yes, I'm not much of a nerd. A nerd or someone who needs to find stuff later? Well, that too. Uh, okay, I went over this while I was reading this section, but I, I'm going to reiterate it because it's fucking spectacular. It's when we learn that the... V- Garlic actually does affect the vampire. I wrote down the wrong page number. That's why I need to <laughs> the page number. Okay. Uh, so, you know, she is the, the she has we find out that Mavra has no fangs. It's just it matters little. You are beings of paper and cotton. I could tear apart a dozen score of your kind. Unless he had an extra spicy pizza, I guess. Let's get out of here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that one i love Um, you know it's just it's entertaining it's cute you know um and then the other one uh they are in the they've just they've made the entrance and uh thomas has started laughing and they're they're walking down the stairs and um harry says wouldn't do to let them see weakness even if i was as nervous as a bird in a coal mine I I enjoyed that one immensely. It's Canary in a coal mine, you know? Uh, I get it. I get it. That's funny. All right. Uh, I got a Michael one again here. The first chapter you read there where they're pulling up to the party. Uh-huh. And he's trying to tell Michael, like, dude, like, we're not trying to in there and fight anybody. You got to relax. It's like, he says, you know, obviously Michael's saying if, if I, I have to defend people, like, that's what I do. He's like, Michael, I'm not asking you to smile and chat and get cozy. Just keep quiet and stay out of the way. Don't shove a crucifix down anybody's throat. And then, you know, they have a conversation. He goes on a little bit. And then Michael says he wants to pray. Uh, I'd like to talk to him, capital H, for a moment. You know, Harry's like, what? He's like, you don't have to say anything. Just be quiet and stay out of the way. (laughs) He bowed his head. (laughs) Just, they're back and forth. Like, Michael really is funny. And he throws stuff back in Harry's face all the time, which I love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's that but one. But H- Harry does the same back. Oh, of course, of course. Which is fantastic. And uh, the other one is when, when Leah is uh, doing her thing on Harry, or Harry's doing mm-hmm. the thing on Harry and Le- while Leah's watching. Susan asks what Leah's done to Harry. Michael rumbled, I don't think she has. I can usually feel it when someone's done something harmful. I haven't. I have no need to do so. He's already done it to himself. What? I thought. What's she talking about? What? Susan said. What are you talking about? It's just like Harry thinks it and Susan says it immediately. Mm-hmm. I just love like how simpatico they are. Mm-hmm. And it makes it even more tragic what happens right there. Um, I, I just love the synergy of those two lines back to back, which is. Yeah way funnier in print than listening to it but it's just i definitely yeah it's not necessarily like hilarious or anything but i i love it and it, it's tragic and it is kind of funny to me so um i thought it's fantastic i giggled at it oh absolutely but it's definitely more the tragedy of the piece as you get through it just because she's about to lose 
this connection to yes. him and what you know where this line comes from goes away in moments it's just kind mm-hmm. of interesting um, i didn't even think about that but presumably we get it back at some point in the series and we'll see what happens and Hopefully. who knows but we're excited for the big old conclusion but speaking of yeah. what do you think's gonna happen Liz? what do you got for a crackpot theory of the week so I did a little bit of research on Templar Knights and, and, you know, I still think he's a Templar Knight. I do. Okay. Um, <laughs> I had to look some stuff up. And one of the things I came across is, so we talk, we talk about sigils and stuff like this, where Harry's got the, Harry has sigils on his circles and things like that. And on the um, seal of the Templar Knights, it literally says sigil ovium which I thought was interesting. But their motto, the the motto of the Knights Templar, which makes me, that made me even more like, oh my God, he totally is. Um, I'm not going to read it in, in Latin because my Latin is atrocious. But it, in, in the English translation is not for us, my Lord, not for us, but to your name, give the glory. And what does Michael do all the time? It's not for him. He's not doing anything for power and glory. He's not doing anything okay, but okay, for the okay, almighty. Yeah. Huh. I just like that. Um, but the sigil thing, I, I, that was just a, huh. Because we do talk about sigils and ruins, uh, in runes rather, um, on the, the different, in the different storylines we've had. So I thought that was interesting. Absolutely. But, you know, I, most of us know who, what the Templar Knights are. The Knights Templar, they were, they were the, basically the military arm of the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages. And they stole a bunch of treasure and hid it and they got found by Nicolas Cage in that documentary. That too. That documentary. Yes, exactly. Obviously. Um, but I, I, you know, I just thought that was interesting because we do have this very Catholic man and he, the Knights Templar had a white. Um, shield. No, they're they, well, a white shield with a red cross, but also their tunics were white with a red cross on them. And when and Michael I- got out of the car at the hospital, he put on a white tunic with a red cross. That was actually the initial, holy crap, he's the Knight Templar. Um, but as I go, because I'm crazy like that, I like to add things to it. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah. I dig. So, yeah. I dig. But the other thing, so this was also, I was, when I was looking at the, the, um, the seal of the Knights Templar, it's two knights riding one horse, which made me think of the two, the two of them in the Blue Beetle. <laughs> Because if you think that might be my favorite part of this whole theory, <laughs> the two knights on a horse, just the image of that in your head is really funny. It's like two big guys. It's like back on a little coat. Uh, but that's the idea, like two big guys on a little horse, even though like still a knight's horse is going to be huge still. And you think of these two tall men crammed into the blue beetle that made me giggle. So that's my crackpot theory for the week is they are two knights on one horse in the blue beetle and not for us, my Lord, not for us, but to your name, give the glory. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. These are all of the things that I was entertained by. Uh, I dig it. I dig it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, on that note, I mean, I don't think I have a whole lot to go on. Like I said, next week is going to be great as mm-hmm. far as the story. I'm really excited to finish this podcast so you can immediately open up the next chapter and start digging in because it is um, an exciting run here. It's definitely mm-hmm. pretty action-packed as we get through it. There's some weirdness and some wonkiness and some stuff that I'm 
also intrigued to hear what your thoughts are on, but I uh, look forward to that. And then we got two more weeks on this book, and then we move right on into Summer Night. So take a look at that uh, book cover and start getting your theories ready for what that might be about. Goodness me. And beyond that, life is good. Uh, have I said go Aztecs enough in this pod? I'll say it one more time. Go Aztecs. They are in a national semifinal for basketball. That's ridiculous. The ghost of Tony Gwynn is so excited. <laughs> He's just knocking singles all over the park today oh, in the celebration up there. And um, beyond that, I don't know. I just appreciate people listening to our pod. Keep it up. Mm -hmm. um, keep spreading the good news or the bad news or playing jokes on people by pretending that it's good. And then you tell them and then they listen to it. They're like, what the fuck did you just send me to? That's a funny <laughs> joke. Keep playing hey. that joke on people. Hey, I have some great accents, okay? There's so much time for so many more. You run great, great accents. accents. You got a problem with some of the accents we run in? Goodness gracious. I have the one, and I'm very excited about my one <laughs> accent that I get to use. <laughs> I love you know, it. We do what we can, Liz. We do what we can. Yeah. I have four games this weekend, and it is our mother's birthday. So <laughs> that's all I got. A lot of exciting stuff coming up. There you crowd, go. crowd, crew, team. Well, and <laughs> the other exciting thing is that in two weeks, we might do a show where we're actually in the same room together and not oh on two God. separate parts of the state. We got to figure out how to make our microphones not pick up each other's voices then. Well, we can go. Well, we could do it in two different rooms. Well, we have to be in the same room. Oh, no point. Are. Jesus Christ. How many days well, are you home? For? How many days are you home for? I come home Saturday night and leave Tuesday night. Oh, shit. So you we'll leave have Tuesdays. To, so we yeah, have we'll, to do it. Um, we'll have to do it early Tuesday or on Monday. Yeah, but I'll well, see if Monday I can work pack and practice. So it'll have to be Tuesday morning. We could do it Easter night. We can make it um, work, though. We'll figure it out, I'm sure. Yeah. Either way. We always do. Easter would, be, Easter would be more fun, mostly because I don't give a fuck about the proceedings, but I'll be drunk. Oh, good. <laughs> Michael will be so disappointed in me. I'm sorry, Michael. He really would be. I just don't care. Except for Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> Beyond that, anything else to throw in there? No, I'm good to go. All right. I'm excited. Uh, can't wait to see y'all next week. Uh, this will be out, obviously, this weekend. And we look forward to hearing y'all's response and thoughts and all that good stuff. Keep hitting us up on... What's the email? It is the podcast was on fire at gmail.com. Absolutely. We really need to do more of our Twittering and Facebooking and yeah. TikToking. I'm just so tired all the goddamn time. I'm good at it. I'm so bad at social media. Well, you haven't done it. How do you know if you're good or bad at it? I try. I don't think that's true. <laughs> I haven't done anything either. I'm just <laughs> so next week we are doing chapters 29 through 34. It is going to be six chapters there, and it ends on a very happy note. I'm very excited about that. And short of that, Liz, parting thoughts. Hey, I'm ready to see what happens. I'm ready to see how they get the hell out of there. Okay. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much, guys. I have been Josh. I am Alyssa. If the podcast was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. Mop, mop.
you gotta watch Archer. Archer's so good. <laughs> we have a show that like has references that it intentionally puts references in that like you have to Google. Like there's no way people just know <laughs> these things. Um, uh, great show. Um, uh, either way, one of the, it's a he's a it's a yeah, spy I, I've agency. Seen some episodes. And he, he, yeah, yeah, he's the world's greatest spy, and. One of the running themes is tinnitus from mm-hmm. shooting guns all the time. Because if you shoot guns all the time, you're going to have tinnitus. And he has to, like, he does like a mop, mop. It's like a thing that you like to try to like open up his ears. <laughs> oh, God. I love that show. 